The National Assessment of Educational Progress is an American group. They call themselves, it's more commonly known as the National Report Card, found this year that in the States, 37%, 37% of grade 12 students were academically prepared for university based on their English and math scores. That's the, the baseline, what they're using, English and math scores. 37%. 63% of students, in other words, were not ready for university when they walked through the ivy-covered gates of their university of choice and prepared to move on to higher education. They were ill-prepared for that. Made me wonder today when I read that, is it actually any better here? Dr. Anton Alahar is a sociology professor at Western University. He is the co-author of Ivory Tower Blues, a university system in crisis, and its companion, Lowering Higher Education, the Rise of Corporate Universities, and the Fall of Liberal Education. He joins me now. Dr. Alahar, thanks for doing this tonight. Thank you very much for having invited me. Let's start with the very broad, obvious question. Is it any better in Canada than it is in the States? Well, I don't have those raw data before me, but uh, in an impressionistic way, I would think that we are pretty close to, to that sort of pattern. Really? Yes. So your, your experience when you are standing in front of a class, especially, I guess, with first years or new university students, and when they start handing in their papers and you start grading them and start looking at what they're doing, your impression of them is what? Well, I think that um, they are unprepared because they are, for the most part, immature, not only in chronological years, but certainly with respect to social experiences, social living. And I have discussed that with my colleague and co-author, Jim Cote, as part of the whole generation of bubble-wrapped children, the helicopter parenting, that never really permits these young people to experience life. So suddenly they end up at university and we are demanding of them things that one demands of young adults, and they're not yet young adults. So they come from high school systems where the grade inflation has been incredibly high, and everybody is habituated to the idea that she or he is an A, if not an A+. Then they come to university with these same very high expectations. I was grading my first-year exams today, and um, I said to you earlier, Scott, that more than 50% of my first-year class went into the final exam with a D, if not a D minus, into the final exam. And I don't think it is these young people who are failing as much as we are failing them as a system. The, the sense of entitlement and empowerment that they have is not the kind of thing that prepares these people for the university experience. And what has happened is that universities have had to bend because we no longer have students, we now have customers. Mm. And the customer is always right. So that um, they come in, I'm reading um, exams that are functionally literate. <laughs> Not just spelling, but paragraphing. And um, Well, you told me today when I called you to, to arrange this, this time tonight, you were marking a paper as we were speaking and if you can remember it, what was the, there was something that was going on in that paper over and over again. This is a, this is a university paper. Yes. Um, they, I, I forget the word that I was... Privilege, uh, I believe it was. Yeah, yes, yes. But, you know, the, the difficulty is that these young people come to the office sometimes, but they will cry 
they will melt, they will have all of these different problems, and it is not coincidental that the rate of emotional and mental illness is so high among our undergrads, if not grads today, that they are facing tremendous pressure from parents, from teachers, from preachers, from peers, and so on, and they just can't cut it. So they use, and I have not met a single student in the undergrad program who has not told me that high school was a breeze. And then they come to university and uh, the, the rubber meets the road. Although there are some colleagues who will continue the idea of hand-holding and spoon-feeding. Hmm. You have already raised so many things. Let's, let's break some of these down. I, I, there's so many of them. I want to get to as many as we can. Um, you talk about the, the grade inflation. Many people have suggested, and this story is not new, we've heard about ill-prepared students for a while now, that the root of this ultimately, as you said, is not necessarily the student, but it's found in the lowered expectations and the school board's requirements that everybody pass, and, and even if you don't hand in a paper, you can't fail, you're not allowed to fail. Is that where ultimately this really starts, that, that if we don't say that failure is an option, well, why am I going to have to work? Well, precisely, I think you've hit the nail on the head. One of the major motivating factors for me when I was a student at high school and university was the fear of failing. And when that fear is taken away, then um, so much of that motivation is eclipsed. Mm. The, the concept of grade inflation, as uh, Jim Cote and I have written, is a little bit of a misnomer. The, the notion of inflation is borrowed from economics, where prices, you know, when there, there's too much money chasing too few goods, and inflated prices, the sky is the limit. In academia, the limit is 100. You can't get 101%. So what has happened is that we have what I call grade compression, so that everybody now bunches somewhere between 84 and 91. And you can no longer use grades to distinguish the, the outstanding from the excellent, from the very good, and on and on. And it is now very, very difficult since everybody is so entitled. And if they don't get that grade, then they won't get a scholarship, they won't get into grad school, they won't get on the dean's list and what have you. So those pressures are being placed on the professors. And it is particularly telling among the junior or the younger profs who require good course evaluations in order to hold their jobs and get their pay increases. So that what is happening is that you're finding rampant in the system this problem of dumbing down. I have two letters in my... At university, not at high school, in the university system. At university, yes. I, I have uh, two letters that um, were sent to me by publishers of tremendous, number one commercial publishers in Canada, where I had written chapters for an info book. And this one publisher said, Dear Professor Alaha, please write this at a grade 10 level. For heaven's sake, it is for first-year university. Quote, unquote. <laughs> So that, um, I, shouldn't la I shouldn't laugh, but it is kind of funny. No, but yesterday in my final exam, a student, I said, in this essay, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. The student raises her hand and calls me over and says, what is an essay, sir? No. So you're dealing with fundamentally literacy, problems of vocabulary, and so to which is tied the entire Internet and the smartphones and the social media that lead these young people to think that they're smarter than yesterday's generation when indeed the Internet has made us all more stupid. But we also have the situation where high schools are under... A, the, the administration of the school is under pressure because if they were to grade 
if they were not to grade inflate, if they were to be really hard on the students, the grades go down, more of their students don't get into university, and suddenly now the school doesn't look very good because instead of saying 90% of our students got into the university of their choice, it's 40% of the students got in. They may be better prepared, but the administration is going to get pounded, are they not? Marvelous. You see, you've put your finger on it again. It is a big charade where, I, I rem- and this is not just a Canadian or North American phenomenon. I am a Caribbean sociologist. I was at the University of the West Indies in Jamaica not long ago, where the big sign that used to read in front of one office, student services, has been changed, and it now reads customer services. So we do have these vice presidential offices and so on and so forth that are really about packaging and branding and, and you know, promoting the university. We have the, the best undergrad student experience ever. We have the best cheerleading team. We have all of these things while we are cutting back libraries and cutting back on hiring uh, qualified professors. So accompanying this problem of grade inflation is something that um, Jim Cote and I also talk about under the rubric of credential inflation. These young people are chasing paper and they're accumulating degrees, diplomas, hmm. certificates, and all kinds of things, and they are very hyper-credentialed, but the credentials don't tell us that they know anything. And it's just um, a kind of a blind chase after this paper, and all of these students are now coming out, especially in the humanities, arts, social sciences, with thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 loans, and they can't get jobs. So they're upset. Is there any is there any university though, doctor, that is actually looking at the numbers and and saying, you know what, uh, we've had school X uh, that we've accepted a number of students from before, and you know what, the grades all say they're getting ninety, but we know they're really not like that. We're just not going to accept that anymore. Or is it is it too complicated? And so it's just you know what, you get ninety, you get ninety. We don't really care where you're from. Well. Um, I know at the University of Toronto, and I know at Princeton University, they tell you right up, if you come to us with an A, we classify it as a B right off the bat because of grade inflation. But they, too, have to be answerable to the market. They, too, have to put bums in seats Mm -hmm. as opposed to students in classrooms. And because the government funds us according to certain formulae where our students don't have names, they are called BIUs, basic income units. And we get so much money for an undergrad, so much for a master's, so much for a Ph.D. student, that now the market model makes sense, where if we have a a master's or a Ph.D. student that we get $10,000 each from the government, suddenly we were told we now have to attract more and more foreign students because the students coming from China, for example, will be prepared to pay $25,000, $30,000 for that same seat. And in a business model, You'd be pretty silly if you sold the seat for ten thousand instead of twenty-five thousand. So increasingly, we are having this uh, this concern about the bottom line and the entire corporatization of the university. Hmm. My, my university campus looks like a shopping mall. It, it has a hairdressing salon. It has banks, chiropractors' offices, state-of-the-art gym. Um, it has um, music stores. We also had a tanning salon. And a beauty salon and all these. Now, what the devil is going on? And then you go over to the library and it's semi-deserted. But the pubs that are mushrooming everywhere are full. We we just have a couple minutes left here. You and other, I mean, uh, Professor Cote, you and others that we've read are clearly frustrated in the university system of what's happening. 
I believe that high school teachers and administrators are frustrated with the rules that are being pushed down on them about these zero-fail policies and all these other things. If we know that the people at one end of this spectrum at high school are frustrated and the people at university are frustrated, why have the two groups not gotten together and tried to figure out how to fix this and reaching some sort of common ground so we don't have all these problems? Well, again, you ask a brilliant question. Um, Jim Cote and I spoke to a group of teachers. Uh, they have an organization called Mand Ed, as Mand Education. And this was, um, I think, somewhere uh, not quite up in Timmins, but this was a group of high school teachers who had attempted to make this representation, and they were blocked by the school board. They were not supported by their principals, blocked by the union, and so on and so forth. The idea is everybody knows that it is going to hell in a handbasket. Nobody wants to stand up and, you know, blow the whistle. We know what happens to Ed Snowden and those kinds of guys. So that many people now, frustrated and jaded, say, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to go along to get along, which defeats the entire purpose of education. The the word itself, Scott, comes from the Latin ducare, which means to lead, and a, the letter e, in Latin means out of. E ducare means to lead out of, out of ignorance, out of not knowing. And what we have now at our universities, increasingly they have been converted into job training sites and not educational institutions. It is, uh, it's a little disturbing. You know what I'd love to do? Uh, There was one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Mm -hmm. We don't have time and I think it's going to actually take quite a few minutes. I want to know, and we can't do it right now because I got to go to a break, but I'd love to have you back next week if you could come on again one more time to ask if everybody should go to university because you know what? It seems to be the thing now that everybody's supposed to get free or cheap university and we want everybody to go through the system. And I would love to have you, if you're willing to do it, to come back next week and just chat about that for a few minutes. I'd be very happy to do so because this is one of my, um, my, my pet topics. All right. Let's, I'm, I'm, completely out of time right now, but I will put you on the schedule. We'll be in touch this week uh, and we'll get you back sometime next week because it's a, it's, it's a great topic to talk about. Uh, Dr. Anton Alahar from Western University, really appreciate it. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.